The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. It was a killer disease. They found evidence of smallpox as far back as mummies of Egyptian pharaohs from more than 3,000 years ago. A terrible disease. It killed 35% of the people it infected, left the survivors often scarred and blind. Terribly transmissible, it would tear through villages and towns. It was no respecter of persons. It killed young and old, rich and poor. We know of at least six European monarchs who were struck down and untold countless numbers of people that weren't considered noble. It was a, vi a virus that had a long history. I mean, this raged through the days of antiquity. It ran through the Middle Ages, through the Industrial Revolution, right up into the Space Age. If you can imagine this, in the 20th century, smallpox was estimated to have killed more than 100 million people in the 20th century. The most troubling part of that number is, of course, there was a solution and had been for a very long time. It was all the way back in 1796 that a guy named Edward Jenner was working on doing something about smallpox. And one thing he noticed is that milkmaids, ladies milk and dairy cows, they would, who caught something called cowpox, they seemed to have immunity from smallpox. And so Edward Jenner came up with the idea of taking this relatively mild virus called cowpox and using it to inoculate people and then exposing them to smallpox. I always wonder who would volunteer for that, but exposed them to smallpox and turns out this created immunity for them. And of course, uh, he was working in science, and everybody in science worked in Latin back then, so the Latin word for cow is vacca. So he called it a vaccine inoculation, the word we still use today. 1796, there was a vaccine for smallpox, but 100 million people died of it in the 20th century? Doesn't that seem troubling? Someone had what they needed, just didn't give it to them. But 180 years after Edward Jenner did his first experiment, a group of scientists who were charged with this got to announce to the world what everyone had been waiting to hear. Smallpox was gone, eradicated. The first and still only human virus to have been eradicated from planet Earth. Can you imagine the privilege of getting to make that announcement? I'm announcing that an age of fear and scarring and death and blindness, this is something you don't have to be afraid of anymore. It's so eradicated we don't even vaccinate it for it anymore. Can you think of the privilege of telling the world that what they'd been waiting for had finally come? That's exactly the job that God gave to a man named John. Right? John was a prophet who stood between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Remember the Old Testament? That is the story about how God would keep his promise to send a Savior from sin. Right? The Old Testament takes this promise that God made all the way back in the Garden of Eden that I'm going to solve the problem of sin that you've created. 
It was passed down generation after generation after generation in the Old Testament saying God's going to do something about this problem. He's going to send someone, the Messiah, who would solve the problem of sin. Now, how would he do that? Well, the Old Testament had information on that too. It would have to do with sacrifice. God wanted his people to understand something about his plan for salvation. So when he told them to gather for worship, he gave them very specific instructions. It was a worship life that was based around sacrifice. So, you know, imagine this. If you go to temple, God said, I want you to bring an animal, a young one-year-old, say, lamb. No blemish, nothing wrong with it. You can't pick the one with the limp. That's kind of the point. There's supposed to be nothing wrong with this animal. You bring it to the temple and you place your hands on its head and you symbolically place the sins of your family on the head of this lamb. And then they cut its throat. They catch the blood in a bowl, sprinkle some on the altar, burn up the body. If you were a 12-year-old boy accompanying dad to temple, what would you have learned through that visual object lesson about sin, salvation, and our God? I mean, I think maybe the first thing you learn as you watch an animal bleed out is that God's kind of serious about sin. God said that sin means death. That the sins that we commit, that we have managed to rationalize in our brain, understand uh, that is so abhorrent to our holy God, he says that that demands death. But the other thing you might learn as you're standing there as a 12-year-old boy is that my sins that went on the head of this animal meant death, but God's not demanding my blood or my death. Instead, there'd be an innocent substitute who would die in my place. God had his people do this for 1,500 years, sacrifice after sacrifice, reminding them that God was serious about sin and sin would lead to death, but God would send a substitute who would die in our place to get God's people ready for this day on the banks of the Jordan River where John the Baptist stood with his feet in the Old Testament and his pointing finger in the New Testament and pointed at Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, God's solution to sin um, was all tied up in the person of the Messiah. And John's announcing, he's saying, this is the era you've been waiting for. Here's the place where the promises of the Old Testament are going to be fulfilled right in your viewing, in your presence. He's going to point to this Messiah and say, he's the solution to all your greatest fears. Because you see, God's plan was that there would be one last sacrifice. Not one that he asked his people to bring. No, this one last sacrifice was going to be one that God would bring. God was going to bring a lamb to temple. God was going to bring a sacrifice. And John the Baptist pointed at Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary and the son of God, and said, look, there's God's lamb. God's lamb that he's going to sacrifice for the sins of the world. This is the innocent substitute that we've been waiting for. He was the Lamb of God, perfect and innocent, but yet God placed upon him our sin. It says uh, he takes away the sin of the world. 
Let's think about that for a minute. The sin of the world, all the bad things that every wicked man has ever done, all the things that, that we've done that cause our memories to burn, cause us to feel shame, those sins that, those sins that we wonder if God can forgive us for, God piled up every one of them into this massive pile called the world's sin, and he put them on his son who carried them away. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, sin can only be in one of two places. Either it's around our neck and we are lost, or it is on the Lamb and we are saved. And that's what John the Baptist was pointing at. He was saying, look, here's God's Lamb. He's here to take away the sin of the world. And that includes every one of those sins that we haven't forgiven ourselves for. Every one of those sins we wonder if we can make atonement for, God said, he's taken them all away. John knew, so he pointed. Because here was everything that the world needed. Can you imagine, uh, like in the 1960s, being on those inoculation teams that were sent to like the, in, the African continent in the effort to try to eradicate smallpox? I mean, here you are in a brand new country, people who don't even know their language, but you know one thing. What you know and what you have can save their life. What a privilege that is. You have something that they don't, and by giving it to them, you can change their present and you can change their future. You know, here's the thing. Uh, Jesus could have used angels to tell the world the gospel, but he loved you and me too much for that. He wanted to give us a chance to share in that privilege, to be a share of news so great that it changes someone's life, changes someone's present, and certainly changes someone's future. I mean, no one likes to be the bearer of bad news, but good news? I mean, could you imagine, like, if you had, uh, you'd come up with a cure for cancer, could you imagine the privilege of walking into somebody's hospital room who's stricken with cancer, and you get to say, it's going to be okay. I got the cure. You're going to be just fine. Could you imagine going on the news to announce to the world that cancer would be eradicated within a couple of years? We just need to get this vaccine out to everybody that we came up with. What amazing privilege to take something that people fear, things that ravage people's lives, and say that's an old era. A brand new one has come. When we see the necessity that people have, we understand the privilege it is to bring them something that the world has changed. It doesn't take very long looking around in our community or in our families or in our world to see that this, this world is rotting with sin. It's breaking apart. But here's the thing. We have a message that solves people's problem of guilt and shame. We have a message that brings them forgiveness and a right relationship with God. We have a message that can change their hope from being 70 years or 80 if we have the strength to what we all want deep down, which is to live forever. We have that message. The only question is, what will we do with it? Will we share it or will we keep it? You might be thinking that uh, 
sharing the message of Jesus with this sinful world around us maybe isn't as easy as I'm making it sound. Um, you might be thinking to yourself, people that don't know Jesus are, don't think of the world as being stricken with cancer. Me showing up and knocking on their door or telling somebody at work or inviting a family or friend, it might not be received like the cure for cancer. You might be right. You might be concerned that they'll look at you as, uh, I don't know, some Bible-thumping holy roller. And they might. But here's the thing. People that don't have Jesus have something missing. They might not be able to name what it is, but it's really easy, easy to see. If you talk to them, whether it's their internet-assembled ideas of spirituality or the way in which they try to try to fill the void, try to find fulfillment or pleasure or happiness in, in whatever it is. And we can tell that because well, we can recognize it in ourselves, right? When we, when we stop finding our fulfillment, our validation, our happiness in, in Jesus, and we try to find it in someplace else, some other things, we always know that ultimately that won't bring us real happiness. Because what we're trying to fill that void with is just is counterfeit. That void can only be filled by the one thing that fits it, by the message of Jesus and a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. We know they have the disease. You and I know that Christ has given us the cure. Only question is, what will we do with it? So Andrew was a young man who had been following John the baptizer around. He was a disciple of John's. Uh, he watched John, he listened to John preach. He watched John baptize. And he was there that day when John pointed and said, look, there's God's lamb. And as soon as John the Baptist told him that this was the Messiah, the one they'd been waiting for, well, Andrew left John the baptizer behind and he went to follow Jesus because if this is true, if this is true, if this is the Messiah, that changes everything. It means a new era has come. Well, Andrew spent the day with him and he believed. Now, the Bible makes a really important point of mentioning the very first thing Andrew did was go and find his brother. He wanted his brother to know that a new era had dawned, that the solution, the cure, had been made known. So he doesn't stop. He doesn't go get lunch. He doesn't take a break. He goes immediately 4 o'clock in the afternoon, finds his brother Simon, and he won't take no for an answer. He brings him with him to Jesus. When you know the necessity, you understand the privilege of pointing someone. Andrew had found his Savior, and now all he could see around him was opportunities. I pray that we as a church, you as, you as members of this church, as Christians, as members of Christ's body, will look around you and see the opportunities that Christ has given us to point people who desperately need it to a message meant for every man, woman, and child on this earth, a message of sins forgiven and heaven open. You know, Andrew, he went and told his brother Simon. And Simon, well, he's the guy we know as St. Peter, he told thousands and thousands of other people. So today there are untold thousands of people who worship Jesus in heaven because one young man understood what a privilege it was to point. We have what this world needs. The only question is, what will we do with it? 
Let's point them to the Lamb. God grant it. Amen.